Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Zivi Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This 30-minute podcast features a new author interviewed by me every single day, 365 days a year for about 30 minutes. I am also the publisher for Zibby Books, which publishes 12 books a year in fiction and memoir. Our books are already out now. And you can check it out on zibbybooks.com. And we have a magazine called Zibby Mag, where we have lots of wonderful essays and lifestyle features. That's at zibbymag.com. We have classes at zibbyclasses.com. And I recently opened a bookstore in LA called Zibby's Bookshop at 1113 Montana Avenue at 11th Street in San Monica. I hope that you are able to enjoy some of our other offerings. But this here podcast is the basis of all of it and started in 2018. And no matter what I do, this is basically my favorite thing. Enjoy. Emma Rosenblum is the author of Bad Summer People, a novel which I've recommended in like a million places already. Emma is Chief Content Officer at BDG, overseeing content and strategy for Bustle, Elite Daily, Nylon, The Zoe Report, Romper, Scary Mommy, Fatherly, The Dad, Inverse Input, Mike, and Gawker. Bad Summer People is her first novel. Welcome, Emma. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss Bad Summer People, a novel. Thank you for having me. I am thrilled to be here. Well, it's wonderful to have you. This book was like utterly delicious. I don't know how else to say it. The fact that you jump from everyone's points of view and so that we have this whole 360 view of everything going on in Salcombe. Is that how you pronounce it? Salcombe? Yes. No B. 
Salcom. Salcom. Yeah. Salcom is so wonderful and all the different relationships. And yeah, I didn't want to put it down. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. So why don't you give a better synopsis of, uh, of sure. what the book is about? Sure. So Bad Summer People is set in this small town in Fire Island, and it follows two main couples and then also a singleton and a tennis pro as they have drama throughout the whole summer. It starts with someone having died and you don't know who that person is and then rewinds to the beginning of the summer where you meet everybody and figure out their relationships. And then by the end, obviously, you find out what's happened and how how it's happened and how this summer was so combustible as to lead to someone actually dying. Amazing. Well, I have to say, you know, my husband is a former tennis pro. And that was, (laughs) that's part of our story. So now I really want him to read this book too. Is the audio book coming out? Obviously it must be. It is. It's coming out. It's narrated by January Lavoie. It's very amazing. She does the voices so well. Um, But I would love for tennis pros to read it and give me feedback as to whether they think it's actually accurately depicting a tennis pro. Because I actually haven't had a tennis pro read it yet. So I would really love for your husband to do that for me. Uh, he would love to do that. He's actually out playing tennis right now. Um, and he knows, you know, he did this for 12 years. He's a producer now, but um, he knows people everywhere. Like the whole, he's tapped into the whole community. So, and I know I've learned a lot about it from him. And so reading this from the tennis pro's point of view was <laughs> very funny. Loved that. And of course, there was just so much Upper East Side, well, New York in general, but specific references and so much sort of just society observation, almost like a Jill Kargman style, you know, maybe not as much of a roasting. (laughs) It was not a roasting. You know, I, I feel like sometimes it's better to let people hang themselves with their, the way Mm -hmm. that they speak. And so it's very much like a straight on look at a certain kind of life and crowd and the type of person that lives on the Upper East Side and, or, you know, owns a second home in the Hamptons or in Fire Island. And I just wanted it to be funny. It's really just kind of like a, more of a satire than a roast. Yeah. That's a better way to say it. And even how, uh, (laughs) you even have the nanny Sylvia being upset that like now she has to be with this family in Fire Island and how much nicer it was in the Hamptons and there she got her own wing and you know, <laughs> why does tennis practice end at noon anyway and like why does she have to work so hard? Very funny. <laughs> yeah, and that's also why I did it from different perspectives because obviously in any sort of small town or any kind of enclosed environment, everybody is the star of their own story. And so they're seeing things in a different way than other people. And so I thought it'd be interesting to add in the nanny's perspective, to add in some of the peripheral characters' yeah. perspectives, to see how everybody else thinks about everybody else in this in this town where everybody knows everybody and everybody's known everybody forever. Yeah. And another thing that was interesting is your relationship, your portrait of the relationship between Sam and Jason and some of the more, the intricacies of their complicated friendship and how it had gone on for so long and um, how sometimes the people you think are the closest, you can't really stand or, you know, like, you know, just all the, the backstory and, and the, it's like all these hidden currents, undercurrents among relationships. And you do such a good job of kind of teasing them out, even among men, which I feel like a lot of books kind of ignore, you know, they don't delve into that as much focusing only on like female to female friendships, female to male. But I like how there was that as well. Yeah. And I thought, you know, that's particularly in a place where 
people have known each other for so long. You do see men who have been friends for a very long time. And I'm interested in that dynamic because I don't know it quite as well as I do female friendships. And so I thought it'd be fun to have a friendship where one of the parties in the friendship is just totally devoted and thinks that they're completely okay. And the other one has been harboring this jealousy for basically his entire life and how that plays out publicly, but also privately and how that also then leads to the events that, you know, set off this dramatic summer, basically. Yes. And the bartender, Micah, that his name, he was a fabulous character as well. I know, you know, it's funny, that was really the main note that I got from my editor, Megan Lynch at Flatiron, who's amazing. And she did not have many edits for the book, but the the one thing she wanted was more from Micah because mm-hmm. I really only had him at first as a single chapter. And so then the second draft of the book was very much just incorporating him more throughout. And he is, su- it was such a fun thing to do as a writer because I just loved him also. So I was like, oh, that's easy. I'll plug yeah. him in here. I'll plug yeah. him in there. <laughs> like, But he also provided that kind of you know, insider outsider perspective because he's younger than the rest of the characters. He's not quite as like ruined by life as the rest of the characters. So for him to witness kind of what grown-ups are doing in a way that's disturbing to him was fun to write as well. Yeah. So great. And then of course you have sort of infidelity coursing throughout. <laughs> Everyone's cheating. <laughs> what is it? Did you make up the signal app or is that a real thing? No, Signal's real, and it's an app that actually, I, so I'm not, my full-time job is not being a fiction writer. I work in media. I'm a chief content officer of a digital media company called Bustle Digital Group, and we use Signal to communicate amongst ourselves on our executive team because just in terms, and a lot of companies do this now because it disappears. So there's never a record of what you're saying to each other. Whatever lawsuit comes up, they cannot bring up what you've said on Signal. Not that we say anything bad, but just again, for like protective purposes. So I thought it was very funny to then put it in the context of personal use to be like, oh, actually, if you're having an affair, this is the app that you would use because it completely disappears after a minute of reading it. It's kind of like the Snapchat of like communications, but it's completely encrypted also. So they can never bring it up. Nobody can ever find out what you've ever said. Wow. Can you screenshot it though? Yes. (laughs) You can. Okay. Not supposed to do that. (laughs) (laughs) They need to do an app like that, but that screenshots don't work, you know? Yeah. I, I think, you know, you're not supposed to screenshot it, but you can, uh, but I, I'm not sure if that technology exists, but I'll have to look into it. But (laughs) I think so, but sometimes with screeners, like movies you watch ahead of time, you can't screenshot. I know. I mean, I'm sure it does. They must have a way. They must have a way. We'll have to dig into this. But Signal, and and so yes, they the some of the communication amongst a couple that's having an affair takes place on this app, um, which I thought was funny. <laughs> and then you have Rachel, who like lives and dies by this community, and it's so funny because it could be this, it could be like a girl, like a teenager whose whole life is sleepaway camp. Do you know what I mean? Like there's so, there are all these scenarios where your main life is not like your favorite part of life. Mm-hmm. And what happens when like the rest of it is not as good and you have to wait only for summer or only for these, you know, vacation or whatever, where the community you feel most at home actually is operating. 
Yeah, that's an interesting point about Rachel that I hadn't necessarily thought about in the context of like a sleepaway camp kind of person. But I actually do think there's types of women, particularly who like thrive in some places and then that's not their whole self. And that's Rachel for sure. She is very important in this community, particularly in the social aspect of the community. She's always throwing parties. She knows what's happening with everybody. But then when you back away and get into her New York City life, she's very unhappy there. She's not married. She has no children. And to her, those two things really signify that she hasn't succeeded in life. Not that they should signify that, but to her that it does it does signify that. And she feels very dissatisfied in that way. And that kind of allows her to, I mean, she stirs up trouble because she feels so unhappy herself, which again, I mean, everybody knows and I've been guilty of doing that too. When you're most unhappy, you're like, how am I going to ruin someone else's life? <laughs> I feel horrible. You know? um, so that's the character, Rachel. And she was a very um, interesting and fun character to write as well for that reason, because we, as women, as we get older, know certain people who feel like they haven't like checked all those boxes. So she, to me, was like that kind of person who, again, even if it doesn't mean anything really that she hasn't, but to her, it's very embarrassing and it makes her feel lesser than, so poor Rachel. (laughs) I don't know, Emma, I'm starting to worry about you. You're writing a (laughs) signal. You're trying to get back at people. You write a whole book about bad people. I mean, what should we know about you? This is like... (laughs) You know, that's a funny point. I'm, listen, I'm certainly <laughs> not having an affair with anybody. I haven't killed anyone, nor am I. I'm quite lovely. <laughs> I think if someone once told me, so I, again, my my background is in media, in magazines. I've written for magazines for my entire career, only nonfiction. This is the first time that I tried fiction. And it was so fun to switch from nonfiction to fiction for that reason, not to be bad, but to allow your kind of what people are really thinking impulses to come to the world. What, you know, the the meaner side of women's friendships, the sort of, you know, the when people are having affairs and ruin their marriages, like that's not necessarily something that in nonfiction you get to just explore because you're very much writing the facts. You're writing quotes, what people say. Mm -hmm. I love writing dialogue, fictional dialogue, because I could just make it up. And a lot of times when you're writing a magazine article, you're like, oh man, if they had said this quote, I would have ended with it and the story would have been perfect, you know, but they didn't (laughs) say it. So you can't put it in. You don't have a great kicker. But in fiction you get to put the words in their mouths. So that was like a really fun thing. And I don't, I I just felt like someone, and again, someone once said to me like, in fiction, you can be mean because it's not you. And that's not not something that you actually get to really indulge in in your real life. And again, not mean necessarily, but also funny mean. Right, Um, right, right. And so that was, that was a fun thing, but that's, you know, I'm, I'm not any of these characters. It was- <laughs> I know I'm not, I'm not I, I didn't think that you are. I was just kind of playing with it, but yeah, you can say all the things you might want to say in fiction. It's uh well, people don't, you know, and this is another thing where I feel that women are not, you know, uh, we're taught very early to be very nice to people's faces, to be completely polite. And then you get alone with your best friend. And what do you do? You like talk shit about all the other people that you were just talking to. You know, you're saying this person was a bitch to me, this person, da, 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 da. that's not how publicly women function. So I, I thought it was fun also to go behind that 
curtain and actually go in someone's mind, someone who is not necessarily a great person, I'm, I'm calling them all bad people, and to see what they're actually thinking versus what they're saying to a larger world or to somebody else and the, the way that they're, you know, acting in the world versus their interior. Like you even had a line about Rachel where she literally was like, I think you said, well, maybe I didn't underline it, but you said something like she could feel she was like losing Lauren's attention. And so she knew it was time she had to put in a new piece of gossip. <laughs> you know, like you could feel like she feels it and she she knows that's her currency. Like that is the value add of her. <laughs> yeah, she does know herself. But yeah, that was, you know, again, it was just so fun to to write something that was so as you you called it like delicious like frothy mm-hmm. like, you know that that kind of thing to me it just felt like a real escape from my other job in my life and so that's how yeah I mean. let's wait let's go back to you and your job and your life and all that <laughs> so so t- how did you get started even in the magazine world and did you want to be a writer like where did the, just where did you grow up what's your whole story sure I grew up in Westchester outside of New York City so I'm certainly like a New York person for my entire life which again made it pretty easy to write a book that was set in this world and in college I majored in English I always thought I wanted to be a writer it was the easiest thing for me in school and I was good at it. So I was like, well, I'll do that. Right. I'm not going to be a lawyer. That sounds boring. So, um, <laughs> at the time in college, um, I was able to get an internship at New York magazine the summer before my senior year. And again, media was a slightly, it was a slightly different time. That was like the coolest job you could get in the world was to work at New York magazine in 2003 or whenever I was graduating college. And so I started there and I ended up transitioning from an intern to like an editorial assistant. And from there, I kind of, I was at New York Magazine for about eight years, really learning how to write and edit for magazines and working with like the smartest people I'd ever met. And it was really exciting and fun. And then from there, I went to, I decided I wanted to try women's magazines. So I became an editor at Glamour. Um, And then I went to business week, um, doing all of their kind of lifestyle, like non-business news for their, for that magazine. Then I was at L magazine as the executive editor for two years, after which I transitioned to my now job, which is at bustle digital group, which was actually my first all digital job. So I just kind of worked my way up and have been in this industry for a while. And at a certain point stopped writing so much when I was younger, I would write lots of like profiles of actresses and actors and do a lot of Q and A's and a lot of, you know, news articles. Like I just was writing all the time and also editing. But then as I grew in my career, I got farther away from the writing just because my job became more managerial and more about like budgets and headgown and less about like the creative side, which is what I really got into it for. And at a certain point I thought, okay, maybe I want to write a nonfiction book. I want to write something. I just really missed it. And I kept thinking to myself, like, that's what I'm actually good at. I'm not, you know, it, it, media is one of these industries where the higher up you get, the farther away you get from the thing that you really are like talented at. I'm like, I'm not, you know, I can run an organization. Sure. I'm like a competent person who's able to deal with like P&Ls, but like, is that really my skill? No. Like I'm a funny writer. I'm good at headlines. Like how can I use that in a side project? And so over COVID, when I wrote this about two summers ago now, the summer of 21, I just, you know, decided I was like, you know what, I'm going to try to write a chapter of a fiction 
and see if maybe that could like scratch the itch that I have right now for something creative to do while also doing my other job. And so I started with this chapter of Lauren coming out on the ferry and I was in Fire Island at the time when I wrote it. So it was pretty easy to be inspired by the setting. I had always gone out there every summer of my life. Basically, my parents have a house out there. And then from there, it just, it was pretty quick in terms of being able to, and I knew also someone had to die. (laughs) So I was like, okay, someone's dead. I have this character. She's definitely married. And then I just went from there. And so I wrote it over the course of that summer, again, while also doing my current job. So I kind of did it in between Zooms and, you know, I would like pull it up whenever and like mess with it. But it, it, you know, you've read it. It's not the kind of book where I is very much a plot driven book. It wasn't. And, and also to go back to your question about what I did and how I got here, I have learned how to write really fast because I've worked at weekly magazines my whole life. I've always been on deadlines. Mm-hmm. I've always, I've never, I've been taught not to be super precious about the words to just like get out the story, the story, the story. And like, so it was, it was pretty easy for me to get through once I knew that I had an end to like find my way to the end. And then I had a draft. It was pretty quick. It was like four months. And I was like, oh, I think I wrote a book. I don't know what this is. <laughs> it's a very long word document. <laughs> so I wrote that. And that's a very long answer to your question of who are you and where are you from? <laughs> it's supposed to be a long answer. The whole point is like, you know, use the time so people can get to know you. And, you know, I love it. I, I think it really helps to know people's backstory, right? You can put everything kind of in context. And I don't know. I think it's it's really helpful. And then when you read the book, you know a little bit more, like, where is this coming from? And I don't know. I, th- I personally, I think it always gives a lot more meaning to the book, which is why I do this podcast. So totally. I love, I love listening about authors' lives as well. It's super interesting to me too. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. So what happened after you wrote the book? Did you, then you went out and found an agent or what happened? Yeah, I had a different person I'd been speaking to at a different company that I ended up with about possibly nonfiction mm-hmm. project. And again, I didn't really know what to do with this. This is not, 
my world fiction. And I didn't really know if it was anything, honestly. Like I, I kept saying to my husband, I was like, you know, if someone buys this for like a hundred dollars, like I'd be so thrilled. Like I <laughs> take us out to, you know, lunch in New York city. And I'd be like, yay, this was, someone's going to read this. But I didn't have any hopes higher than that. And one company kind of read it and was like a little bit like, oh, it's kind of in between genres. It's not really for us. It's like, and I kind of had not been speaking. I didn't do the research that writers do, which is like, find the, you know, the agent that's really, you know, aligned with the kind of book this is. Like, again, I was kind of busy. So I was just yeah. like, I sent it to literally one person who was like, not sure. And I was like, okay, well, whatever. I tried that, you know? And then I reread it at some point after I had gotten that kind of tepid response. And I was like, you know what? I'm a professional editor. I was like, this is not bad. I was like, this is not the best book I've ever read in my life, but this could be published. I like just knew that it could. And I then did a little research into the kinds of, you know, mass commercial fiction books that possibly could align with this kind of book. And then I found my now agent just by sending her back. I was like, oh, she's represents Kevin Kwan and Lucy Foley. I was like, this feels right. And so I sent it to her and she immediately liked it and was like, we can sell this and sold it in like a week. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It was more about just like finding the right, amazing agent. But again, it was my stupid, like I should have just done that initially, but it wasn't, this isn't, this was not until like the past two months, this book has not been my main focus at all. (laughs) This month it is, but before, like I, it, it was very much like a side thing that I was doing. And so, yeah, I was super happy with how that all panned out and it was bought by Flatiron and, you know, I love my editor and she's super smart and they bought another book. So I have another book coming from them. It's all like, it's been a really fun, unexpected, like twist in my career. That's awesome. What's your next book about and have you started it? I have a draft. You have a draft. Good for you. That's yeah. Awesome. Well, that's the other thing where, you know, my, my editor was like, this is because I get really, I need stuff to do. I I'm pretty like efficient with my time. So once I handed in, once bad summer people was done, essentially, I wanted something else to mess with. And I had this idea about an executive team. So it's not like a, you know, it's not connected to bad summer people at all, but it definitely takes place in the same kind of, it's the same genre. So an executive team of a tech company, not a media company, but I certainly have experience working on executive teams. And so this tech company is on the verge of being sold to like a huge company, like a Google or whatever. And they go down to Miami for a retreat, a team building retreat and have a large drunken celebration to celebrate that they're all going to become rich beyond their wildest dreams. And the next morning, one of them has disappeared and you don't know where she's gone. What does this mean for the company? And so the action kind of stems from that and stuff is revealed. And it's also, you know, a kind of funny satire of the world of like tech wealth. And the CEO is like a, you know, a crazy quirky Adam Newman-esque figure. So that is the next book. <laughs> wow. Does that have a title yet? Yes. Billion Dollar Babies. <laughs> oh, love it. Well, that's the working title, but everyone seems to like it. So <laughs> amazing. Was yeah. this the, the title all along for Bad Summer People? No. At first, 
It was, we'll all be back next year, which is a mm-hmm. reference to a song that they sang that in the town. And then my agent, Alexander, did not love that one. And I didn't really love it either, but whatever. And so then we, she had me come up with a list of like 40 titles, which was actually a fun exercise for a person that has, you know, writes headlines for a living. And um, we still weren't really hitting it. And then my mom said to me, I said, you know, I can't figure out a title for this manuscript. She was like, well, it's just about beach brats, Emma. And I was like, Hmm, beach brats. And so then I took beach brats and sort of like iterated on that and came up with bad summer people and my agent loved it. And so we submitted it with that title. So it's had that title since we sold it. Wow. Yeah. Beach brats. It's funny. <laughs> so great. Do you feel like when you go back to Fire Island this summer, people are going to like, how are people going to respond? Are you going <laughs> to? Well, so last summer we had a bit of a Kerfluffle in Fire Island because while the book is obviously super fictional and not based on any actual residents of the town of Saltaire, which is where my parents have a home, certainly there are like stock characters that I've built on with personalities that I just made up and backstories that I made up that possibly you would think could be somebody in the town. And last summer, the manuscript, which was completely unedited, and had placeholder names, which was my mistake, of like real people in town. I was like, there's so many characters in this book, as you know, if you've read it, yep. where people would ride by on their bike in front of our house. And I would literally input their name in the manuscript as I was going, not to a character related to them, but just like as a placeholder. I used my best friend from college name. I had my husband's name in there. Like, There's a lot of names that you have to make up, which is something you don't think about before you're writing a book where you're like... I have to think of these names and not necessarily. So that that version of the manuscript, which is the one we sold, which is the one my agent had sent out, had gone to a number of places in Hollywood to sell the option rights, a lot of places, because I guess they send it out wide and it did end up getting sold, but that's a different story. So that version went on someone's, found its way to someone's desk in a production company whose stepmother is a resident of Saltaire. She sent it to her stepmother who sent it around. So everybody in the town last summer read my unedited manuscript with placeholder names of real people. And it was a big drama and ended up as an article in Business Insider and in the Daily Mail as like media exec exposes town secrets in an unpublished manuscript. It was so embarrassing. And I learned my lesson to never use anybody's real name, even as a placeholder. But it was slightly annoying too, because it was obviously a version of the book that I didn't want people to read because it hadn't been edited. There were like typos. Like this is not something, you know, that yeah. this it hadn't gone through any copy. It hadn't gone through anything. Um, so I'm hoping that last summer was the summer where the drama occurred and that this summer it's just going to be all like, everybody's going to laugh about it and be, you know, be excited. We're hosting a book. My mom <laughs> is hosting a book party for me, Saltaire Yacht Club, to just be like, we're celebrating with the town. But it's certainly inspired by the town. And, you know, I think actually, like, I just thought it would be fun for everybody to see their town reflected in a fictional book. But you never know how people are going to react. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, I'm sorry that happened last summer. And uh, 
Yeah. Fine. You know, it's like all press is good. Yeah. Wait, what's the news about the screen adaptation? Oh, yeah. I mean, it, we it hasn't been announced publicly, but that's okay. We sold the option rights to Amazon Prime. So, you know, it has a writer attached. There's a script, but it's fingers crossed, obviously, for anything like this. I think, you know, it's the kind of book that people in Hollywood were excited to potentially adapt because it's obviously got that kind of like rich person, big little lies, ask white lotusy vibe. So that was an interesting process to go through to have people uh, read the manuscript and talk through like what their vision would be for the TV show and what their vision would be. So the hope is that it gets made. Again, I'm I'm just happy to be along for the ride and be excited that there's even the potential of that because, you know, as you know, those projects can die at any moment. Oh, well, no, this would be a, such a wonderful... I could just, I mean, you write it as if it's a movie. Like I can see it all playing out in my head. So I feel like it's such a natural for the screen. But I loved, I mean, this will be on everybody's beach blankets this summer. I can just see it. It's wonderful. It's also great like for a flight when you're worried you're going to pick a book that like won't get you all the way there. This this was going to get you all the way there. On the, on the even flight. if you don't even like it, you're going to finish it. <laughs> No, what's not to like? No, it's great. It's really delicious. Yeah, no, it was just fun. It's just supposed to be fun and really like, yeah, yeah, beachy, juicy, you know, an antidote to anything if you're feeling depressed or if you feel like you've been reading books that are sort of more homeworky, yep. you can use this book as a palate cleanser. Yes, love it. <laughs> well, Emma, congratulations. Really exciting. And I can't wait to watch all the success as it comes out and all that. I so. appreciate it. Thank you so much for your support. Of course. All right. Take care. Bye, Zimmy. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.